But let me start by asking you a question. Uh, what were you doing last night at 9 p.m.? What were you doing last night at 9 p.m.? This is a rhetorical question, but think about it. What were you doing last night at 9 p.m.? Uh, I was doing battle uh, out back here with a skunk that was st- stuck in a live trap. Oh, yeah. And you know what I have at home to prove it? A bag of clothing. And it got me to thinking. You know, I, I like to turn everything into a sermon illustration. Uh, I won, by the way, just so you know. And, and as part of our capital campaign, if you would like to have that skunk released in a friend's house, just make an extra donation and write skunk and the address. We'll get, no, I'm just teasing. That's, that, 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 that would be hilarious, though, but uh, no. Um, so... Uh, it got me to thinking, oh, by the way, so here was the scene last night. I, I, uh, I did not get sprayed by the skunk, but I think I walked through a spray cloud. You know how sometimes ladies put on perfume, but they spray it out in the air and then they walk through it? I think that's what happened to me. Um, so, uh, so I got home last night and my wife, my wife went, you got sprayed, didn't you? Uh, no, I didn't get sprayed, but... Um, but it got me to thinking last night uh, because I did, I had to go home and take my clothes off and take a shower and, and everything like that. And, uh, and I, it, was, it was remarkable to me how not even being directly sprayed, but just being in the area of where apparently that thing sprayed, where that thing went off, uh, it stuck to me, like stuck to me really well. And uh, I couldn't believe it. And it got me to thinking about how we as human beings, we as uh, you know, people in the United States of America and in the Midwest, how we think about money, how we think about possessions. And uh, it could be that uh, the way that we've been brought up and the culture that we've brought up has, has stuck to us in a certain way uh, to, to make us think about money and possessions in a certain way. And so what I want to do today is I want to get into God's word and I want to see what God has to say about money, possessions, wealth, whatever you want to call it, and uh, allow God's word to retune our thinking a little bit, to wash off of us the stink of this world, perhaps, and to instead uh, equip us with knowledge from him. Last week, I talked to you about our mission. Uh, And just to summarize that briefly, uh, in the Bible, we read the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, with everything that you've got, basically and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great commandment. And you couple that with what we call the great commission, you know, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples, and he taught them to baptize them and to teach them to obey all things that he has taught them. You put those things together, and what you get is our mission, which is to love God, you know, this is a summary statement, but to love God, love others, and make disciples, make followers of Jesus Christ, to, 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 to teach people the way of Jesus. And those of you in the room that are educators, you know that the way we teach is really important. We teach by our example, by how we live, but we also teach by what we say and, and what we do and, and how we train others. And so this is a fully orbed mission for life, Right? It, it, it talks about how we, how we tune our affections. We, have, we tune our affections to love God. We tune our affections to love our, our outward efforts to make followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. And so today we're going to talk about 
part of how we do that is, is how we think about possessions. Now, in the world that we live in, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna take, just give me some grace for a minute, I'm gonna be very simplistic. We tend to think as, as people in the, in the United States of America as either capitalists or socialists, right? That, I'm being very broad here, so give me a little, little latitude. Capitalists or socialists? Capitalist, uh, a capitalist may tend to believe that everything that he or she possesses belongs to them, and they have the right to do with those possessions whatever they choose. Whereas a socialist would say, uh, everything that I have or what I, what I possess is really not mine. It belongs to the people or the state. Um, and the state or the people, or perhaps the state by virtue of elections through the people, uh, disperses possessions, wealth, whatever you want to call it. And I guess what I'm saying this morning is what if they're both wrong, right? Now, I'm, I'm a realist, and I understand that we live in the United States of America in a blended kind of a capitalistic mostly capitalistic, but partially socialistic society. I get that. But, but what if they're both wrong? What if an understanding of God's word would lead us to, to believe something about the possessions of this earth that is completely different? So the question that we're gonna wrestle with today is this. How are we to think about the things of the world, including our material possessions? How, how are we to think about these things. And just to, be, just to be very simple, we can divide the universe into really two things. People, everybody who's made in the image of God, and stuff. And stuff would include plants, animals, trees, uh, and possessions. Earth, dirt, rocks. People and stuff. How are we to think about the stuff of the world? Well, Psalm 24 is our text for this morning. And in Psalm 24, we read this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Now, let's just talk about, <clears throat> let's just talk about this verse for a minute. And by the way, this is, not the only, this is not the only scripture in God's word that points us to this reality, but it does, and I'll bring one of them up in a minute, but it does it is saying something that is rather profound if we'll let it sink in, which I, which I hope I'm going to, with the help of God's word, uh, allow that to sink into your brains a little bit today. It says, the earth is the Lord's. The world that we live in belongs to God. And not only the world that we live in, but it says also the fullness thereof. Everything. All the stuff it says, this, this verse says, belongs to God. Now, in, 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 the, in the realm of the complexity of language, the Hebrew language is a pretty basic language. I'd say English is more complex than Hebrew, and Greek is more complex than English, okay? So the New Testament's written in Greek, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, so this is Hebrew. And oftentimes, because of the simplicity of the Hebrew language, they would engage, writers would engage in this thing called parallelism, meaning, and you see this all the time, right? The writer will say something and then immediately restate it a different way to make sure that you got it. So he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's pretty easy to understand. The world and everything in it belongs to God, but then he restates it. The world 
and those who dwell therein. Now, if you adopted my very simplistic view of life, which is you can divide everything into people and stuff, this verse is all-encompassing, right? The earth, the world is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. So everything in the world is the Lord's. Then it goes on to restate the world and those who dwell therein. That's you and me. Everything, it seems, belongs to God. Now, as Christians, I say this to you and you say, yeah, duh. This is a very easy concept. This is a very basic concept. But let me challenge you a little bit as we move along, as we move along in this message, let me challenge you. Do we live like that? See, I, I think that we need to be people who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. Meaning, if we believe that what this says is true, the earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof, the world knows who dwell therein, then we need to live that reality out. And that, I think, for me anyway, is where I fall short. I said earlier that there's uh, other verses in the Bible that, that indicate this reality. Uh, here's one, and I just use it because it's something that people say a lot. You know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50, 11, or 50, uh, 10 and 11, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Again, over and over in God's word, what we see here is that God, God owns all. And that's our, really our first and really only point today uh, is that God owns all. So what I intend to do is just kind of take a little bit of a walk through God's word and kind of buttress this main point uh, and maybe point out to you some complexities or some implications of this main point that perhaps you haven't considered before. God owns all. The first ones were pretty simple. God made it all. God made it all. If we, we read back in Genesis chapter one and two how God created the heavens and the earth, right? And, and as you move about the days of creation, day one through day six of creation, you see God uh, putting the stars in the sky, the, the sun, the moon, uh, filling the earth with uh, moving creatures and plants and, and all that kind of stuff. God made it all. He, and again, if you think about this for a minute, if you think about this, uh, it'll make your head melt down just a little bit. He designed photosynthesis. The, the process by which sunlight is, you know, sunlight and the nutrients from the ground and the, the water from the, from the earth all combined together to, to create to propagate life, plant life, God did that. Uh, the, the whole process of whether it be a man or a, an animal of, of, conce of conceiving new life and giving birth to that new life, which is a miracle in and of itself. Can we agree? Uh, when, a, when a woman becomes pregnant and, and, and brings forth a child, it's incredible. And then, and then, like my wife and I had the pleasure of doing yesterday, of, of watching a child that came from that woman. Uh, you know, we were at a volleyball game watching Ellie play, and just just to think that that child was once 
uh, inside uh, my wife and, and she brought forth that child and that child grew and we nurtured that child and now that child is doing all kinds of wonderful things. It's incredible. God designed that. God made that. I say this a lot and, I, and I'm not trying to be arrogant at all in, in what I say, but, but when I went to engineering school and I learned how the world works, I had it in my mind that we as human beings had come up with some great inventions, and we have, but, but I dare you to think of the most complex, innovative thing that we've ever come, come up with and compare it to any living creature in the complexity of its design. And I guarantee you that whatever the fanciest technology, whether that be a, a, a smartphone or a smartwatch or, or the crane that can lift the heaviest load, to, to then think about that, that piece of technology turning and giving birth to another piece of technology. No, we haven't even come close. This is what God has designed. Now, in the engineering world, uh, when, when you design something, when you come up with something new, you can go out and you can get a patent. You can, guard, you can protect your intellectual property, right? And, you can, and the reason that the law allows us to do that. The government allows us to do that because if you come up with this new design, this new concept, that you, you're allowed a few years to capitalize on that, right? To make some money off that new idea, that new innovation. Folks, God has created things that are so far beyond our comprehension to understand or our abilities to design. This just reinforces the fact that that what we have in our brains, the, the gift that we've been given of being made in the image of God and the ability to think through problems and to come up with solutions and to have those solutions manifest themselves as things that humanity has never seen up to this point in history, that's all God's investment in us. It's amazing. Now, from time to time, we get arrogant as human beings and we think that we're something special. Take your Bible and turn to uh, Job chapter 38. And this is a really wonderful, just back a few pages, uh, this is a wonderful passage of scripture because this is God reminding one man uh, that, that our ability to argue with God, to, to think that we're better than God, to think that we're owed something by God is kind of a, a fool's errand. You see, he owns everything because he made everything. So Job is basically this story about a man who loses everything. His wife, he doesn't lose his wife. He wishes he would have lost his wife. He doesn't lose his wife. He loses his children, his servants, his possessions, even his own physical health is going down the tubes. And Job has this long conversation, not only with his friends that come over to try to console him and do a very poor job, but uh, also is arguing here and there with God. And He's demanding answers from God. And eventually God answers him in Job chapter 38. And this is always a good passage of scripture to read when you're feeling uh, like you know what's really going on. When the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Now, when I read passage of scripture like this, I think of the subatomic universe that we know very little about, that we try to est- theoretical physicists try to estimate, and, and we're trying to figure out how matter even works. How does it hold together? How does this whole situation operate? And the bottom line is, we don't know. That's what goes into my mind when I read, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like, I know how the subatomic world works. I designed it. I know exactly how everything holds together, and you don't. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since the days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. God goes on and on. I challenge you to read this this week. God goes on and on and just solidifies in Job's mind that Job is neither the designer, the creator, the maker of the universe. And so I want to submit to you this morning that one of the ways that we know that God owns all is because his knowledge of the universe, his creation of the universe is extensive and comprehensive and ours is not. He made it. He knows it. We do live in it, but it belongs to him. Second thing I want to share with you is that he allows us to use it. So God has not just made the universe or made the world. He allows us to use it. And we see this again in Genesis Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God has given us this world to operate, this world that he created. Now, I don't know what you, I don't know what you call it, right? When, let's say that there's a person that owns a house and you are allowed by that person to live in that house. You recognize that person as the owner of the house. That's kind of what we are. We, we are. we are leasing, we're renting here, whatever you want. We're temporary residents of this place, a place that God owns, and he's given us permission to operate here. Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. We're temp workers on this earth. We're here for a time and we're gone. And while we're here, we are given some marching orders by God to, to make use of this place called the earth. First uh, Peter mentions this a bit. Uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace, right? And it goes on to talk about some have been given the gift to speak. Some have been given the gift to teach. Some have been given the gift to serve. And to serve oftentimes requires resources. And where do our resources come from? 
our work on this earth. Now, here's another reason why we know that God owns it all. Not only because he made it, not only because he allows us to use it, but because he can take away things. If we had ultimate ownership over things, if we had sovereignty over our possessions, surely we'd be able to keep them in our possession. But lo and behold, the experience of a human being on this planet is, is that sometimes, sometimes we earn and sometimes that money is lost, that those possessions are lost. And for reasons that we could not have predicted and perhaps sometimes even for reasons that are inexplicable to us, the market takes a downturn and all of our money, all of our possessions that we had stewardship over that were invested in a certain way are now greatly diminished or gone. Natural disaster occurs, fire, flood, accident, tragedy. Job recognized this, Job 121, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God can take away and God can give. Why? Because he owns it all. We also see that in God's word that what he made is good. What he made is good. In Genesis 131, uh, at, the end of at the end of the days of creation, we read this, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Folks, I don't, I don't know how much thought you give to what I'm about to say, but I would invite you to, you know, at least while we're here gathered this morning, set your mind to the things that I'm about to bring up. That this earth, this earth that we occupy, this earth that God has made, that he owns, that we get to live on, is incredible. Think of the resources embedded in this world, this planet that we live on. The animals that exist that fly up in the air that by God's design, we can, we can see their beauty, we can behold them, we can enjoy them. We can also, they're also very often food for the uh, not only the other animals, but also for us. The animals on the ground, all made in their various shapes, sizes, uh, some that eat plants, some that eat animals, some that uh, roam and hole, uh, dwell in holes in the ground, some that live in trees up in the air and in all places in between. They're incredible. The fish of the streams, uh, that God has made with glorious colors, the fish in the ocean that God has made with uh, just amazing features. Each creature unique, and some of them extraordinarily beautiful to our eyes. Plants of the earth erupting from fertile soil for our delight, if it's like a flower or a berry or something, or for food. Minerals and oils in the ground. Minerals that can be extracted from the ground and used for all different purposes. For example, to conduct electricity, to build cars and homes. Oil that can be extracted from the ground to manufacture plastic goods that are durable and inexpensive. Metals that can be extracted from the earth to twist, to refine, 
to shape into ornaments for the human body, jewelry, right? Minerals and, and fluids like oil that are extracted from the earth to create explosions, explosions that fuel cars, that heat homes, that fly jets, and even launch rocket ships into space. This earth is incredible. <laughs> Some of you are a bit older than me. Some of you a bit younger. If you're a bit older than me or my age, you might remember a guy by the name of Paul Harvey. Hello, friends. Stand by for news. Paul Harvey, uh, in a famous speech, he was a radio broadcaster for many years. He's, he's not with us anymore, but uh, in his famous speech, Freedom to Change, he reflected on the pioneer spirit of the early settlers out west in the United States and the gratitude they had for how God had richly blessed this land. And this is what he said. Paul Harvey said, the hard-handed pioneer just looked out there at the rolling plain stretching away to the tall green mountains and then lifted his eyes to the blue skies and said, thank you, God. Now I'll take it from here. That sounds, that sounds like he's being uh, self-centered or human-focused. He's not. He's, he's saying that these, these, folks, these, ha, these folks had an appreciation for the bounty that existed in God's created earth. And from that bounty, using his human labor or her human labor, they could extract things, they could, they could grow things, they could kill things and eat things that would sustain life for themselves, for their families, and even to allow them to work to be a blessing to other people. So when we think that we're advanced as human beings, we have to remember and humble ourselves and remember that without the combination of the image of God that he implanted, that our good God implanted in us, along with the absolute bounty of the resources that our good God has given to us on this good earth, what advance would we have? God owns it all. We are also to remember that to understand that the goodness of what he has made points to his greater goodness. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 19. You're, you're probably familiar with Psalm 19, but take your Bible and turn to Psalm 19. You, know, you just read a little bit of that. Again, this is just God's word just continuously proclaiming over and over again that this world, that everything, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Look at Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Yes. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words are to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is just a picture, just a picture, a small snapshot of this reality that, that the goodness of this created world points to something greater, our great and good God. 
who not only made the universe, not only made the world and everything in it, not only is the owner of all, but loves us so much. This is the higher good, right? He loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross, a cross made of wood, the fibers of which, the molecules of which he himself designed. To, to bear our sin, to bear our agony on a cross and then rise again three days later, defeating sin and death. The goodness of what we have here is just a small shadow of the goodness that it points to. What else do we see? Why else do we think that God is the owner of all? Well, here's, here's an interesting concept. The, the reality that moth, rust, and thieves exist points us to the fact that God owns it all. What do I mean by that? That What are you talking about? Moth and rust and thieves exist. Well, we, we know in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Has it occurred to you that in God's design for the universe, at least in the post-fall world that we live in, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, in the post-fall world that we live in, has it ever occurred to you that God's, in God's design of the universe, he has designed in decay? And I, th I consider that to be a blessing. It's frustrating that your tires on your car wear out. It's problematic, right, that, that things wear out over time, they, but they do. And we just expect that as the normal co course of life. Eventually, things are gonna wear out. We're gonna have to replace them. In fact, it, it would be considered miraculous or amazing when something does last a long time. In Deuteronomy 29.5, Moses was talking to the people of Israel and he reminded them, he said, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. And his point was is that God allowed your clothes to last a long time and your sandals to last a long time because we were gonna be out here wandering all this time. That was a blessing from God. So you're not all walking around naked and, and shoeless. But that's an unusual circumstance, especially back then. They didn't have polyester. They didn't have clothing that had a blends of fiber made of petroleum products. They had, you know, natural, you know, goats fur and skin, animal skins and, you know, woven together cloth that was pretty primitive. That's what they had, and it lasted a long time. The point is, is that we, we expect things to wear out and the fact that they wear out, the fact that they decay, points us to the reality that we are not to hold on to the things of this earth. In fact, Matthew 6 makes that clear that if, if you do, you need to understand that you're holding on to things that are going to decay, where moth and rust are going to destroy, where thieves are going to come in and break in and steal. But there is a situation, there is a place, there is something that you can hold on to where none of that is true, and that is to build up your treasures in heaven. I find that to be incredible. The things that we have wear out. 
And people do break in and steal. So we have to decide. We have to make a reasonable, logical decision as people uh, how we're going to think about that which we have on this earth, that which, when we're going to talk about this next week, that which God has placed us as stewards over, how we're going to use that stuff. It's temporary. Finally, we only have temporary use of the materials while we're here. I think I, I, think I just said that. We, only, we have temporary use of the material possessions while we are here. The stuff that we have, the clothes on your back right now, um, the, the house that you live in, those are, all, those are all temporary things, right? Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter tw- uh, 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. I think this is the last place we'll go to today. Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is going to do some teaching here through a parable that's gonna remind us of the temporary, the temporary nature of life. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We'll go into all the cultural background, but, but that was probably a common, <laughs> a common cry of the day, right? Tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Let me say that again. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Boy, if you and I could latch onto that reality and live that way, we'd be much better off. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. Now, I don't know what planet you live on and I don't know what your personality, I, don't, I might not know all your personalities, but here's the one thing I think we can agree on in this room with 100% certitude. Nobody wants to stand before the Lord someday and be called fool. A fool, just to, remind, just to refresh your mind on what, the, what I think is a good definition in the Old Testament wisdom literature of what a fool is. A fool knows what the right thing to do is, but will not do it. A fool knows what the right thing to do is, but will not do it. Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God is the owner of all, folks, and we have temporary use of the material possessions while we're here. The question is, what are we going to do with those things? We're going to talk about that next week. Let's talk about implications of the opposite view. I'm going to go through this quickly. Implications. So let's just, let's just pretend for a minute that God is not the owner of all, okay? That's the opposite. Uh, I'm saying what I'm trying to say to you today is God owns it all. He owns you, the world, and everything in it. But let's just explore for a minute the uh, possibility that just the opposite is true that God is indeed not the owner of all, 
that it's me, you, us, somehow some configuration of human beings own things. And there is no, you know, there is no, God, God does not own it all. Well, then kind of everything kind of crumbles apart if that's true, right? Because then, then all this stuff that's here, it just appeared. There is no design. There is no God. There's just time and chance. That's a very worldly way to understand what's going on. Uh, we take what's ours, survival of the fittest, right? Let's get out there and let's, let's, um, let's do battle and see who can accumulate the most stuff and whoever's got the most toys at the end of life wins. It's kind of a, a logical conclusion if God doesn't own it all. By the way, one of the, one of the most serious questions that I've tried to wrestle with during my life, because I, I really do try to understand this, the other side of the equation, meaning the non-Christian side of the, of the thinking of the, of the world, is I've tried to understand, I know as a Christian where virtues and values, in other words, what is right and what is wrong, I understand as a Christian that that comes from God. What he has said in his word defines for me what is right and wrong. But if you're not a Christian, if you believe that everything just happened by chance and we're here just by some series of, of random chaotic biological and cosmic events, then what is the definition of right and wrong? I haven't been able to figure that out yet. I have learned enough about this life to know this, that if the definition of what is right and wrong comes by democratic vote, we are all in serious trouble. But I'm sure because of places like Hebrews 10, 16, it says this, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart and I will write them on their minds. If God is not the owner of all, then theoretically someone could take ownership of everything. And uh, can I just say that there are some, there are some uh, uh, movements afoot, shall I say, in our culture today where I think that this is the attempt being made is to take ownership of everything and to control everything. There's a, there's a comedian that I really like, and uh, this comedian did a bit one time about Germany. Uh, now listen, I can make this, I can say this because I, my, my last name, T.D., is German, and I've got Germanic roots. But um, the funny thing about Germany is that, is that way back in the early part of the 20th century, they tried to take over the world. <laughs> one country tried to take over the world. And you would think that we would have fought with them for a little bit, like five minutes, and it would be over after the world kind of trounced Germany. But no, it took us a few years to, to put them back in their place, right? And then what, 20, 30 years later, they tried to do bad, They tried to take over some territory again. And what was the territory they wanted? The world. <laughs> Didn't work out so well either one of those times. And many people died trying to put them back, uh, trying to take away their attempts to take ownership of everything. But see, this is the kind of reason and logic that flows out of an understanding of this world that says, we own it, and we can actually go get more if we just fight and defeat and conquer. 
in a world where God doesn't own everything, then it doesn't seem to me that there would be any good reason for loss. When difficult things happen, they just happen for no reason. But we know that's not true because if God is the owner of all, if God created us, if God loved us so much to send his son, Jesus Christ, then we know that all things work to good, together for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. And so if God is not the owner of it all, then we're left here on this planet to wonder about the meaning of it all. Here's an interesting thought experiment for you before we wrap up, and, and, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not even gonna attempt an answer because, because um, it kind of locked my brain up trying to think it through. But if God is not the owner of everything, if I am the owner of everything that I have, okay, just my possessions, if, if it all belongs to me, then try to carry out and live the way of Jesus. And what I think you'll find if you're like me is you'll find that many of his statutes, many of his ways don't make any sense if instead of us owning it all, we are just stewards of the things that God has richly blessed us with. In other words, a lot of the teachings of the Bible fall apart in a world where stuff belongs to me and I'm not just a steward. Think about that. The question on the table today is, how are we to think about the stuff of this world? The answer is this. As we live, we are to remind ourselves that God, not man, is the owner of all. That has practical realities, folks. As you go about your day-to-day, -day, as you get up and you put on your clothes, remind yourself, these clothes belong to God. I'm stewarding these clothes while I'm on the earth. As you, as you uh, manipulate your uh, laptop computer or your, or your desktop computer to get work done, Remember that that thing belongs to God and you're a steward of that while you have it and you are to be using it for his purposes and his glory. The implications are huge. The, did you know that God is the owner of your television? That hurts. He's the owner of it all. By way of application, just a few things to think through today. Number one, uh, please pick up, as Pastor Brad said earlier, a, uh, a prayer calendar out there in the, in the uh, commons. And, and here's what we'd like to do. We don't do this very often, but what we'd like to do is we'd like to just join ourselves together in prayer for the next 40 days and just ask, you know, each day has a passage of scripture to read and something to pray about or a concept to think about as you pray. And, and just, I would encourage you to read each day's passage and and pray. So day one is today. So you got homework immediately starting today. Go home and read the passage and, and pray. And let's, let's just join our hearts and minds together over these next 40 days to pray about what God might do through all of his stewards that exist at Delaware Bible Church here on this earth, in this Jerusalem, in this Judea and Samaria, in, in the areas that we have been given stewardship over. Secondly, I want to challenge you to read uh, chapters five and six in the book that we've handed out to you, uh, The Treasure Principle. Get, uh, I think today, in my life group tonight, we're going to be discussing chapters three and four, but for next week, get ready by reading chapters five and six in that. And I always, what I always tell people is don't wait till the last minute, you know, read, read ahead of time and then give yourself some time to think about what you've just read. And then finally, just continue to ask questions. I've, I've, I've received several good questions about what's going on with building and plans and, and what are we thinking and, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm happy to answer 
these questions. Hopefully by now, after you've had a chance to perhaps look over the capital campaign brochure and, and, and see what's going on, you know kind of what's happening. But if, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to let me know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to open up your word. And it's very humbling to, to admit to you, Father, because of this world that we live in and the concepts in this world and the teachings of this world and the, the way it sticks to us as we navigate through this world, it's humbling to remind ourselves that indeed the things that we have in our possession are actually not ours. And our time on this earth is actually temporary. And so, Father, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, convict us of the ways in which perhaps we've not been good stewards of that which you have so richly lavished us and blessed us with. Convict us of the ways that we've thought this is mine, when in reality, we should re, be reminding ourselves that this is yours. We are called, both, we have been given stewardship over it by you and should be using it in line with the mission that you've put us here to accomplish. And Father, as we think these thoughts, show us perhaps a different way to live. Father, we, we long for, I pray that we long for, the treasure that, that is not susceptible to decay or, or theft, but that we long for a treasure that is imperishable. And that treasure just doesn't exist here. It exists with you. So give us an understanding of that and let that change the way we think and live. In Jesus' name, amen.